Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're working our way through this great book, and now we're working our way through this great chapter. The faith chapter of the Bible. Hebrews 11. Our daughter Molly is uh, living and working as a nanny, or I found out yesterday, she's not a nanny, she's an au pair. And actually a nanny is higher than an au pair. You have to go to school and be certified as a nanny in order to be a nanny, and you get paid more than au pairs do. <laughs> At least that's what everybody tells her. Um, so she's an au pair in Geneva, Switzerland, and uh, she called home uh, last week and said, could you send the oatmeal cookie recipe? Uh, one of her responsibilities is to buy the groceries and to prepare the evening meal in particular. I know she prepares it for the kids. I don't know if it's for the parents as well. And so she wanted to make oatmeal cookies. She had the privilege of introducing the children to tacos. They'd never had tacos before, nor had they ever seen refried beans. Can you imagine getting out of the refried beans and trying to convince them, oh yes, everyone in America eats refried beans. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, you know, I just see that, I think, oh man. I'm a little scared that her family will judge American cooking by her cooking. You see, Molly has always been one to sort of skim over the details. When she was at home, she would get a a yen or a hankering to make something, and so she would get the cookbook out and make something. And sometimes it didn't quite turn out. She would say, I don't know what happened. And I would always say, of course, did you follow the recipe? Well, of course I followed the recipe. <laughs> and I would say, well, I'd get the recipe out. I'd say, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you use that? And so on. Oh, well, no, we didn't have that, so I did this. We did that, and that. Oh, okay. <laughs> In cooking, not following the recipe can be disastrous. And in Christianity. God has not skimped on the details in telling us how we ought to live and in telling us how this works, our Christianity. And especially in this area of faith, he has gone overboard to explain to us the recipe of faith. And as we look at Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12, I believe that's just exactly what we're going to learn. That is the recipe of faith. Follow as I read Hebrews 8, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had the promised, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. I believe in verse 8, the first thing we understand about faith is the privilege of faith. This verse tells us that Abraham was called of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get the wrong mental picture of what people in the Old Testament were like. When Abraham was called by God, when God spoke to him from heaven, Abraham lived in Iraq. Can any good thing come out of Iraq? Yes, it can. That was the area in which he lived. Obviously, it was not called Iraq then. But he lived in that area, which was apparently the area where God started humanity and civilization, put the Garden of Eden and so on. He, <clears throat> he lived there. And he was an idol worshiper. In Joshua 24, 2, we find that his family served other gods. Abraham wasn't a guy sitting around thinking about the one true God all day going, boy, I sure hope he talks to me. He was a guy worshiping idols, going about his daily life, and God said, Abraham, I got something for you to do. Now, what I want you to understand today is the great privilege that was Abraham's. Sometimes we... We think that when God calls, it's a burden. It's a difficulty. It's a hardship. Oh, man, I got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. I got to do this. I got to believe in Christ. It's a privilege. He says here that when God called Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going to go. God called Abraham. He was going to receive an inheritance. Do you know how many people were in the nation of Israel when God chose that nation? How many? How about one? Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to look at the call of God and the privilege that is there. See, God chose the nation of Israel through the person of Abraham. There was no nation of Israel until there was Abraham. And in Deuteronomy 7, we read about God's choosing of that people. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. These are great verses, frankly, that you ought to underline because they teach us a tremendous truth about ourselves. Verse 6, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, 
the king of Egypt. God says, hey, children of Israel, hey, people of Israel, do you know that God didn't choose you because you were a great and mighty nation? And in fact, if we take it all the way back, God chose them through their forefather, Abraham, one guy. God looked down on the earth and he said, Abraham, I've got something for you to do. And he chose him and moved him. And out of him came this great and mighty nation. And you know why God did it? Literally says here, just because. Just because God said, you're the guy I'm going to pick. He didn't pick Abraham because Abraham was a special guy. He didn't pick Abraham because Abraham was always doing the right thing. He picked Abraham because he decided to set his love on Abraham. You know what? Ephesians chapter 1 says God did the same thing with you. He looked down from heaven and he said, Hey, Dave Lunsford! And you put your name in the blank. And you know what God has called you to do? God has called you, first of all, to put your faith in Christ. God calls everybody in the whole world to put their faith in Christ. Now, not everybody answers the call. God has called us to put our faith in Christ. And when we do, we are guaranteed eternity in heaven and help in this world today. Secondly, God has called us to a growing, righteous life. He does not save us so that our fire insurance might be paid for. So that we can just escape hell and then live like it the rest of our life until we go to heaven. No, he has called us so that we might live a growing and righteous life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith and so on. And then verse 10, unto good works. We are saved unto good works. Thirdly, God has called us to dedicated, loving service, both in the church and out. He has called us to serve one another and to minister to one another. He has called us, fourthly, to compassionate outreach. He says, I want you to reach out to people all around you. And number five, he has called us sometimes in specific ways of these first four. And what do I mean by that? I mean sometimes he reaches down and he says, hey, Dave Lunsford, I want you to spend the rest of your life doing these four things in a full-time way. Last week we had some missionaries here, and God has specifically called them to parts of the world and certain kinds of ministries. And sometimes God puts that burden on your heart, and some people just love ministry to kids or ministry to youth or ministry to older folks or whatever, and God puts a specific burden on your heart. God is still in the business of calling us into his ministry. And I want you to understand today that that is a privilege. It's a privilege. Yes, there's duty. Yes, there's responsibility. But God could have sat in heaven and folded his arms and said, he could have said the truth. You know what the truth is, Dave Lunsford? You're not worth it. You're just not that good. But he didn't. He could have looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, you're an idol worshiper. Nah, I don't want you. But he set his love on him and he changed Abraham's life. He called Abraham. The first ingredient in this recipe of faith is the call of God. You need to recognize that God is calling you. If you're sitting here today, God is calling you. God has already called you several times. If you've never accepted Christ, we've already spoken of that several times. God is telling you, look, the blood of Christ covers your sin. 
God is calling you. The second ingredient in this uh, recipe of faith is this, obedience. Obedience, it is the path of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. I went to visit somebody this week, and I had their address here on my desk, and I got to Bellingham, did some other things, and I realized I don't know these people's address. I knew the neighborhood they lived in, and I thought, you know, I could just drive around. <laughs> But I knew that they lived in an apartment-type building, and so I wouldn't necessarily recognize when I saw their particular unit. <laughs> so I humbled myself, and I used that marvelous invention called the cell phone. I said, Kathy, what's this address? You know, when, when God sent Abraham out of this area we call Iraq now, and he was headed for Israel, God didn't tell him where he was going. He said, just get up and go, head in this direction. God didn't give him a, a triple-A map, a triptych, saying, here's where you go, and here's all the great sights along the way. You see, Abraham didn't obey because he understood. We want to understand everything. And then we say, okay, God, if I can understand it, if I can figure it out, if I know exactly what's going to happen, then I will choose to obey, if I like what you're going to do. Abraham said, okay, God, you want me to go somewhere? I'm going to go somewhere. Abraham didn't obey because he knew the outcome. He didn't know where he was going to live. He didn't obey because of experience. How much experience did Abraham have with God? From what we know in the Bible, none. God said, Abraham, get and go, and I'm going to make something great out of you. He obeyed by faith. Last week, Kurt and Bonnie Jones, one of the missionary couples that were here, did something most missionaries would not do because they know when they do it, they risk losing support and interest from people. They said, we don't know where we're going to go. They said, we know God has called us into ministry. We know God wants us to help disciple pastors and pastors' wives. But we don't know where. Now, there are some folks living by faith. They have started raising their support. They have started getting rid of their stuff. You know, they're, they're friends of ours for 30 years, and they stayed with us, and they said, it's been so great. We've been, we've been getting rid of stuff and getting pared down. It's so wonderful. And I thought, isn't that marvelous how God calls some people to that type of thing? Now, God doesn't call all of us to get rid of our stuff. I hope not. I like my stuff. <laughs> but to those folks, he has clearly called them to go somewhere internationally and minister to pastors and wives who don't have the privilege of training that we have here. And so they're getting ready to go, even though they don't know where they're going. They are doing everything they can to be ready to go when God indicates where. That's what Abraham did. Abraham obeyed. We need to lock that door. Yeah. Abraham obeyed when he did not know where he was going. We too must obey even though we don't understand. 
in those five areas of call. We need to answer the call to faith in Christ by putting our trust in Him, whether we can fully understand that or not. We need to answer the call to live a growing, righteous life by giving effort to grow in Christ, to know His will and to follow it. We need to answer the call to dedicated, loving service by getting involved in God's work in the church and in the home and in our community. We need to answer the call to compassionate outreach by loving the people who come in the door of the church, in our Sunday school class, in our youth group, in our Awana club, wherever God puts it on our hearts. And we need to be listening and ready to answer the call that God may give in a specific way. We've had the privilege here of watching a couple of our young men go off to seminary intending to go in the ministry. What a wonderful thing. I have a picture board in the back that's a few years old. And it shows some of the folks sitting here right now when they were younger and they went off to Bible school. And there's blank spots on it and it says, who's going to be next? We need to be ready to answer the call. Abraham obeyed through faith. He didn't obey through knowledge. Yes, God has told us a lot, and we need to know the word, but ultimately, we need to say, yes, God, I will obey you. I will follow you. The third thing we understand in this recipe of faith is the pain of faith. Look at verse 9, please, in Hebrews 11. The pain of faith. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise. That's the place we call Israel today. In the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There's a play on words here when it says that Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country as in tents. It kind of reads this way in the original language. Abraham lived permanently in temporary structures. <laughs> he lived permanently in temporary structures. I like to watch some of those history channels and all these, you know, kind of interesting factual things on the cable TV, and they were making a, making a hut out of sticks and and twigs and, and uh, pine needles and a skin. And they go, wow, you, you'd be surprised how long one of these will last. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's really great. <laughs> I love my house up on Sunview Place, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Abraham lived permanently in temporary dwellings. And why did he do it? He did it because God had called him to something greater. And you know what? That was a sacrifice for him. It was a sacrifice. Now, Abraham doesn't whine and complain. That's because he was living by faith. But Abraham, literally, Acts chapter 7, verse 5 says this, he had no inheritance in the land, not even to set his foot on. In other words, he didn't even own one square foot of the dirt. And he did that. He was willing to live temporarily in, the, in his lifestyle because God called him to that. God is still asking his children to make sacrifices. One of the great errors of our contemporary church, that's big C, the broad word, is that often we don't 
look people right in the eye and say, do you know what? It's going to cost you something to live for the Lord. God's going to give you far more than you're going to lose. There's no doubt about that. But there is a cost. Everything's not going to be just smooth and easy. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Abraham had a, had a mentality, had a mindset. He lived as an alien. He lived as an immigrant. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk or, or live, it's talking about lifestyle. For many walk of whom I have told you often and I now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So here we're going to learn about the enemies of the cross. And what's their lifestyle? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship, not the enemies of Christ, but the followers of Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham was able to live in a temporary dwelling permanently because he was looking for something greater he had a perspective on his life that said, I am God's. I'm looking for God's place. This world is not God's place. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us as Christians that we are pilgrims and sojourners. 1 John 2.5 says, do not love the world. Matthew 6.20 says, lay up your treasure in heaven. To see this world as temporary and put our greatest effort into God's work is a sacrifice that God asks us to make. And until we're willing to make it, we're going to miss out on a lot of the blessing of the Christian life. And we're going to inherit a lot of the frustration that everybody around us has. As we go on in this perspective of this, the sacrifice of faith, we learn more about the perspective of Abraham in verse 10 of Hebrews when he says this, Abraham was waiting for a city which had foundations. I find that a really interesting way to put this. Abraham said, here's some cities around me, but they don't have any foundation. Now, if you were around him in that day, you would have gone to that city and looked and said, well, look, those great big stones they cut out and set there. That's the foundation. No, Abraham saw the world, and he said, you know, this world doesn't have any true strength to it. He said, I'm waiting for a place that has foundations. Abraham could have sang this song that was so popular a few years ago, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Abraham never felt at home in this world. But that's okay, because he said, my home's coming. 
As Christians, God asks us to make this sacrifice and to have this perspective on uh, the sacrifice of letting go of this world and the perspective of looking ahead to the next. In Philippians 3, when he said, for these people who are not living for the Lord, their belly is their God, do you know what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about them watching their waist, as we say, you know, getting a good look and somehow offering worship to their belly. What he was saying was they live for physical pleasure. Now, if you look around the world today and you look at the TV and whatnot, that seems to be where people are at. What do they want? They want happiness through physical pleasure. And you know, God has, has offered, he, God lets us have physical pleasure. He's not against that. But what God says is don't be so focused on physical pleasure that you put your roots down into this world and all of your effort and energy goes into this world. He says, look ahead to the world that's coming. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's just not too far after the book of Hebrews. 2 Peter 3. In fact, it's right after 1 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. You know, isn't God gracious to put the Bible that way so you always know when you're in the neighborhood? You know? 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens that's referring to our atmosphere and the, the uh, what we call space the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements that's this planet we're living on will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, we have this little saying, you can't take it with you. And we all know that's true. You know what this scripture says? It isn't even going to be here. At some point in the future, God is going to take the stuff this world is made out of and vaporize it. It's going to be gone. Now, you know, you can... You can go to the garbage dump or the incinerator somewhere and they burn stuff up, but you know, that stuff doesn't really go away. It goes out and comes back down. God is going to get rid of this world. And what he's teaching us there in Hebrews is, are you going to invest your life in something that is going to be dissolved someday? Even people who don't know the Lord want to make a permanent impact on the world. You want to do that? The only permanent impact you can make is the one you send ahead to heaven. And Abraham got a hold of that truth somehow. Abraham had very little of God's truth at his disposal. We have the whole of God's truth. And yet Abraham somehow said, you know what, there is a permanent dwelling in heaven someday and that's where I'm going. And so I'm going to live my life according to that. May I give you some suggestions to stimulate your thinking along this line? 
If you are going to be a person of faith, you must get your eyes focused on the eternal world. So we would ask a question like this. Are you fixing up your house solely for your enjoyment, or do you aspire to show people godly hospitality and thus contribute to their growth in Christ? God's not against you living in a house that doesn't leak. But are you investing in your house just so you can sit there and go, my, isn't this a fine house? And when the neighbor comes over and he goes, hey, I saw that little improvement you did. Yep, been working on that a while, you know. And then the neighbor fixes up his house and you go over and go, hey, it looks good, you know. Everybody on our block looks real good. It's going to look real good right until God puts a torch to it. But, if you're fixing up that house and making that guest room so when Chris and Amy Brown, servants of the Lord, come here to serve us next week, and you say, yeah, they can stay in my house, then all of a sudden your house takes on an eternal quality. If you do it for the Lord, see? Your house can live forever through the works it does, <laughs> through your hand. Are you building up a fat savings account so you don't have to ever worry about any little thing? Or are you planning to make some large gift to God's work someday? Are you planning to use what you have for God day by day, thereby calling on Him to take care of you? Man, if the price of medical insurance is going up, I hope the retirement age comes down so I can get Medicare sooner. And you know, if you are trusting in your savings account for your future, boy, you're going to have a rough time. Because you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. But if you would say, God, this is yours. And if you put it on my heart to give it, I'm going to give it. I'm going to help people. I'm going to do whatever I can, Lord. I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to be foolish. God commends us to be good stewards, to put away the retirement funds and so on. But where's your investment? Is it in this planet or is it in God's heaven? How about this? Are you making career choices solely on the basis of making more money? Or are you have, and having more joy? Or are you asking God to lead you so you might make an eternal impact for him through your job? If we, listens to God, if we listen to God's call to walk with him, and if we obey that call, if we endure the pain of sacrifice and stay focused on eternity, then we get to see the kinds of things that Sarah and Abraham saw. Look back at Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And verse 12 goes on to say, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. Now if you know your Bible, well, you're thinking, well, Pastor Dave, I don't believe Sarah really exhibited a lot of faith in God. You know that when God came and specifically talked to her and said, Hey, Sarah, going to be pregnant. You're 90, you're going to be pregnant. Oh, she went, <laughs> that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. She laughed. Oh, yeah. 
not the response of faith. When did Sarah demonstrate faith in God? I would submit to you she demonstrated faith in God by following Abraham to the promised land. You know, when Abraham, <laughs> I don't know what it was like, but maybe I'll just imagine that one morning he got up at the breakfast table, you know, said, uh, got a little announcement to make. We're moving. Okay? Are we going down to that nice three-bedroom rambler down at the end of the street? Nope. We're going north. Okay. Where? I don't know. <laughs> Any of you men ever done that to your wife? No, of course, because your wife wouldn't be sitting here if you had, right? <laughs> That's my point. Sarah said, okay. If God talked to you and you believe we ought to go, I'm going. I think that's when she exhibited faith in him because she could have said, hey, see ya, I'm staying with the family. She couldn't get on a plane and come home and visit mama. And there's another time when, well, in fact, I, I believe that that concept is borne out by 1 Peter 3, 6, which says this, Sarah called Abraham Lord. And that passage, 1 Peter uh, 3, verses 1 through 7, is teaching New Testament Christian women to follow the lead of their husband. What the New Testament calls submission of wives and the leadership of men. It says, wives, you should follow. You should be like Sarah who called her husband Lord. Now, I don't expect my wife to call me Lord later on today. <laughs> I'll be lucky if, if she's just real nice to me, but no. But the, the intent there, obviously, is that she said, okay, Abraham, you're the leader, let's go. And there was one other time when she followed his lead. And I don't want to be overly crude here, but I want you to think about the fact that when God said, you're going to get pregnant, and this guy's going to be the husband, the father, she had to agree. She had to go along. For that matter, she had to agree to let herself become pregnant at 90. She demonstrated faith, and then you know what happened? And this, that's what this verse is about. It's about what happened. She received strength to conceive. Wow. She laughed, and Abraham laughed. But you know what they didn't do? They never turned aside from the instruction of the Lord. And because of that, Sarah became pregnant. And listen to the words of Sarah. Now God has made me laugh. This is when, the, when Isaac was born. And Isaac means laughter, of course, if you don't know that. Now God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. There was a party at Sarah's house when Isaac was born, and everybody came around going, man, I just got to see this 90-year-old with a 100-year-old husband that just had a kid. And they all laughed. They all went, man, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Just like you would. And so that's what Sarah said. She goes, God made me laugh. Now God's going to make everybody laugh. The point of faith is this, folks. Faith 
unleashes God's miracle-working power. I don't know what kind of life you want to live, but I don't want to live a plain life. I want to live a life where I get to see some exciting things. God says if you trust in him, you get to see some miracles. And he, and he goes on and, and talks about the ultimate miracle, the ultimate point of this, of this example and of this episode in Abraham and Sarah's life. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, because he believed and because she believed, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude. Everybody on the planet today that calls themselves a Jew racially or ethnically came from one man. Now that's a miracle. God says, do you need a miracle in your life? Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you ask or think. If God could make a hundred year old and his 90 year old wife bear a child, what could he do in your life? Wow. Do you remember the apostle Peter? walking on the water. He was in the boat, and he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he said, Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you. And Peter was just one of those kind of guys, all fired up all the time. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. And boom, out he goes. He's going, yeah, walking on the water. Until all of a sudden, he, he got his eyes on the storm and it says literally that he saw the wind was boisterous, like it was here this last week. And, he's, and he, he, all of a sudden he goes, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> says he was afraid and he began to sink and he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I would suggest to you that Peter shows us how to walk by faith. Number one, follow Jesus' call, even if it looks supernatural. When you read it in the book, and when God puts it on your heart, and you think, oh, Lord, that's too hard. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, 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 just think, time to walk on water. If God has called, he will enable me. Go to Jesus. Follow his call. Number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. That was Peter's problem. No human being can walk on water. And you know what? No human being can successfully navigate some of the waters you are in. But Jesus can. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, he will bring you to himself and he will help you through and over and around everything you face. Number three, when you start to sink, and you will, because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, call for help, stick your hand out, and get back up on the water. None of us are going to do this perfectly. But I'm telling you what, I want to walk on some water. And I'm not talking about all this foolishness that's on TV about miracles. I'm talking about real miracles of seeing people's lives changed. Man, that's the real thing. And that's what God has called us to be part of. May God help us follow the recipe of faith. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for the privilege you've called us to. We don't deserve it, but we're thankful. We feel like the man who talked to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, help us keep, keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to keep answering the call, whether we understand or not. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.